0: Thank you for being here this morning. I'm glad that you're here with us and, and those that are online. Thank you for being here as well. We, this is the last sermon in a series I've been preaching on the names of Christmas, christ must. And uh, to remind us that it's all about Christ, but also that Jesus in the Bible has a lot of names. There are a lot of titles, really, for Christ. We say they are names, but they're really titles. And today we come to a simple name, Jesus. And that is the name. And you've just seen us portray uh, a, a nativity scene in a sense uh, and, and the baby lying in a manger. That's a really nice word for this. And it's actually a feeding trough is, is what a manger is. Uh, they were feeding the animals in a trough of, uh, that, that they would lay the food in, the hay or whatever And so that was the only place since they were in a cave where the shepherds and others would come for shelter and animals would be kept in there. That was all she had to, she wanted to lay him down. That was the only place she had. So I'm sure Joseph cleaned it up some and laid him there. You know, the problem is sometimes we get stuck here. Christmas is a week away. Christmas, not even a week, five days. It'll be here Friday, right? And I know one present that maybe nobody in this room will get, but somebody's going to get. And that is a puppy. You know, people like to give, you know, oh, it's Christmas, let's get the kids a dog. Well, if you are interested in a puppy, wait till March, because they'll be really cheap then, because everybody's going to be turning them into the shelter. I've never owned a dog that at six months I didn't want to get rid of it, because they're a pain. And uh, people forget that. They think, oh, it's a puppy. You forget it doesn't stay a puppy, it grows up. And people get frustrated, they don't want to handle responsibility. Here are some of the worst reasons for giving up a dog for adoption. These are actual ones. I won a free vacation, and I couldn't take my dog with me. So they just gave it away. I'm a vegetarian, but he always wanted to eat meat. Kind of upset that it was a carnivore instead of an omnivore, I guess. Uh, I got him as a secret Santa gift. (laughs) Thank you so much, secret Santa. Man, and for you, a puppy. I, I guess they were having trouble selling them or something. She was too friendly, wanted to greet every dog and human we met on a walk. He was panting too much. Obviously, this person doesn't know how a a dog sweats, right? I was told not to read this, but I'm going to read it. He didn't like it when we played dress-up. I read it because I think that dog's going, please give me away, please give me away. And the seventh one, she sleeps in her own bed all night. I thought she'd want to sleep with me. So these were some silly reasons. Well, I'm just saying that because we do the same thing with Jesus. We want the baby Jesus. We like the baby Jesus. You know, all you got to do is feed him, watch him sleep. You know I, I I love the baby that was portraying Jesus up here. I love that family I love that baby, and he was such a good little actor up here. He was looking around and uh, when the wise men were coming around he'd look back at us and I had to not look at him too closely because I'd have been grinning so big I would have looked even sillier and I thought I did look but uh but but we like that little baby Jesus in the manger you know that's cute that's fine. we can get our hands on that that's simple, but we don't really want the adult Jesus we don't we don't remember the responsibility that comes with following Christ. And I, I want to talk a little bit about that today. And here's what I want you to take home with you, is don't leave Jesus stuck in the feeding trough. I mean, that's, that's where he is on Christmas night. He's, he's stuck in the feeding trough. But don't leave him there in your mind, and your heart, because he got out of there. He came out of that feeding trough, and he lived a life. I want to read two verses for you. One is found in Luke 1 Twenty-one, and Luke one twenty-one. This is when the angel came to talk to Mary, and uh, the angel uh, appears to her. He tells her what's going to happen, uh, which is confusing to her because she's never known a man, and she's being told she's going to have a baby. And, um, and 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 I'm sorry, Luke one thirty-one uh, is what I meant to say. Luke one thirty-one. Uh, she said, and behold, uh, the angel says to her, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now catch this. In Matthew one twenty-one, that's where I was getting the 21, this uh, Joseph, they're engaged. Suddenly Mary has to let him know that she's expecting a baby. We don't know exactly when he, she told Joseph what happened. And I can imagine being a a, a man and you're engaged to a young Uh, Virgin And suddenly she says she's going to have a baby and you know your character and what you had done. And in their day, uh, engagement was as serious as as marriage. So he's got to think about what is he going to do because by the law, he could have her stoned today. He could say she cheated on me. And they would have stoned her. And the Bible says in Matthew 1 that he was considering to put her away privately. And I used to think, what a noble man. And I think he was. I think Joseph was a very noble man. And that was part of it. But think about this. If he had publicly said that 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 wasn't his baby, he would have been humiliating himself. He picked a girl that cheated on him. And so there's a kind of a double thing going there. It's like, hey, maybe I can kill two birds with one stone. We'll just do it like privately. Won't tell anybody, you know, six months later. Some guy's going to ask me, hey, Joseph, whatever happened to Mary? Oh, we just decided not to get married and he could let it go. And so Joseph is worrying about all this. In Matthew 121, the same angel that went and spoke to Mary comes and speaks to Joseph in a dream. And he, and he says this. Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And here's verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means. By the way, this is the first gender reveal party. Going to have a boy. And here's the name. Actually, the first one was with Elizabeth, but I thought that was funny, so I said it. Uh, so so they get told. But this is going to come full circle. It's going to come full circle real quickly. I, I want you to hang in there. Let me just tell you a little bit about the name Jesus. And and that is this. The name does appear in the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is written in the language of Hebrew and the New Testament the language of Greek. And in Hebrew, the name Jesus is Joshua. And Hosea is a derivative. It's, it's the root of the name Joshua, but it's not the full-blown thing. Joshua is the full-blown name that means Yahweh saves. Well, Jesus is that name in Greek, and that same name means Yahweh saves or God saves. And so that's all it is. It's just that shift there. But it was, it was revealed to Mary and then to Joseph by a heavenly messenger. And it strikes me that heavenly messenger told both of them specifically, not only is it going to be a boy, but you name that boy Jesus. Well, the uh, the name Jesus, though it didn't begin in Bethlehem, it began in heaven and was told uh, as, as a prophecy. And I've read Luke one thirty one, but here's where it comes full circle. If you look back in Luke again, in Luke 2 21, you see uh, there when the angels are talking to the shepherds. And in Luke 2.21, they, they tell them, they go see Jesus, they go away, Mary's thinking about this, and then we come down in Luke 2.21, and Mary and Joseph are carrying Jesus to be circumcised. Now you always circumcised a baby, especially back then, on the eighth day, and there's scientific reason for that. They did it because God told them to, uh, but, but God had designed us for that, and, and so that's why they did it. But I want you to think about this. They had eight days to think about it. Hey, we got a little boy. Joseph's had time to get used to this idea. It's his first son. Do I want to name him Joe Jr.? Do, do I want to name him after my grandfather? Do I want to name him after my favorite uncle or my brother or something like that? And verse 21, at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, and now this is going to be his legal name. This is the, this is the, the birth certificate name, if you will. He was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. His name was predicted from before. It it came to the prophets. It came that this is what would happen. The name means Jesus saves. Luke 53.10 describes how Jesus saved us. It says, yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. Listen to that. The, Isaiah 53 is known as the suffering servant. It actually starts at the end of chapter 52. If you want to go home and read it, make sure you pick up in chapter 52. And, and he's called the suffering servant or the servant of Jehovah. And this is what he's going to be like. And, and there was this disconnect in the Jewish people. They didn't realize that 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 Messiah that they're looking for is also a suffering servant and in chapter 53 and verse 10 yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him he's put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt he shall see his offspring he shall prolong his days the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand in other words while Jesus was dying he could see that he was providing salvation for all who would follow him and believe in him and that he would live long days he'd be raised from the dead never die and that the will of the Lord would be prospering in his hand. You see Jesus died in our place and he did that to rescue us. He came to rescue us out of our sin. We are hopelessly lost. The the word we use is that we are depraved. We are a people that cannot choose to do good apart from another power helping us. That other power is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit only comes to live with us when we bow our knee before Christ and we surrender our life to him when that happens the Holy Spirit comes into us and empowers us to live out that life but but we are sinking in a sea of sin we cannot save ourselves. we are drowning and God's going to lift us out of that and place us on a rock the Bible says he's going to put us on a rock that that rock that word in in the Hebrew language it, it means like a plateau have you ever been out west or watched Bugs Bunny You know those things that come up out of the ground and then they're flat on top? That's called a mesa out there. They call them mesas. Now, they can't figure out why is this thing just stuck up in the air and it's flat on top. And that's because they don't believe in the flood. So they're trying to figure out some other reason. And you say, well, that's silly of you to say that. Did you know know that that orange jewelry that they make in, in Arizona? That's coral. That's fossilized coral. And they get that fossilized coral off the top of those mesas. They say, well, it used to be a sea here. Yeah, you think? <laughs> Duh, the whole world was at once underwater. Well, anyway, that word in Hebrew means he puts you on a mesa where there's no border. It goes to infinity. That's how safe we are in Christ. That when God lifts us out of sin and places us there in that place, we are saved. And if you wanted to run and jump off, you couldn't. Because you can't get to the edge. It is An infinite edge, and he rescues us. And not only that, he delivers us from our sin. He sets us free from our sin. He not only gets us out of the mess, he gets us away from the mess. He gets us away. He delivers us to a safe spot, a safe place. He sets us free. The Messiah was to be a deliverer. Habakkuk 3.13 says this, You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. Now he's talking about anointed people, but that word anointed is also the anointed one is what Messiah means. And so you crush the head of the house of the wicked. Laying them bare from thigh to neck. It sounds a lot like Genesis where the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. So what's the plan? What's God going to do? Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born. Been reading this every week. To us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then Luke 2, 14 said, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. He brings wholeness and healing to us. God makes us whole. You see, he did more than come to rescue us. My son worked for a time as a lifeguard, and he never had to do a heroic save on anybody. In fact, where he worked, the the deep end of the pool was not very deep. He said, here's how we rescue people. Stand up. You know, that was about all you had to do to, to, to survive. Now, of course, they had little kids, and they had to do stuff. But he never had to do a, a serious rescue. But there's one thing I know that if he had had to do a serious rescue, what would have happened? He would have jumped in the water, got the person out. If they needed a resuscitation, he would help resuscitate them, get them going. I don't know what all he would have used, what all he would, would have done. But I do know this. He would not have gone home with them. He would have just said, okay, everybody good? Good. He would have cleaned up his mess, got back on his stand, watched for the next one. That's not Jesus. When Jesus rescues you, he goes home with you. You ever thought about that? He doesn't just save us from our sin. He wants to go home with us, stay with us. He's going to live with us. Emmanuel, God with us. He is going to go home with you. He's going to live with you. He stays with us. And that is glorious to know he's with us. And in fact, not only that, he heals us. Not only does he rescue us, he heals us. Now, I know there's a... a, 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 certain part of Christianity thinks that everybody ought to be healed of everything. But that's not even biblical because even the saints that could heal others, sometimes they were sick without remedy. Paul's one. Epaphroditus was one. And so uh, we want that. But listen to Isaiah 53, 5. He does bring healing to us. Listen to what it says. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Why? Why was he? It was because of our transgression, our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us, if you were here last week, peace. And his, with his wounds we are healed. What does that word healed mean there? What does it mean by, by his wounds we we're healed? Let me tell you. I want to tell you very honestly, because I'm a Baptist, right? So everybody thinks, you know, we're kind of like the frozen chosen sometimes. We, we seem to be, uh, for some people, we're too calm and too, too, too stayed. But let, let me be extremely honest, honest. In that passage, if you translate it out of the original language, you dig into those words, physical healing is a part of it. I'm just going to tell you that. It's not guaranteed on this side of eternity. That's the other part of it. I've been living with a condition for 54 years. Diabetes, most of you know that. I say it all the time, so I know you get tired of hearing me say that. But I say that for a reason. I will be cured of diabetes. But now it might not be here. Because there's coming a day. See, when he says that by his stripes we are healed you just forgot everything he said before that because of our iniquity because of our transgression because of our sin we needed a spiritual healing a spiritual cleaning and the very first healing that God does is a heart transplant his he, bible said in ezekiel he takes out the heart of stone he puts it in a heart of flesh a heart that beats to the heartbeat of god a heart where he can inscribe his law on our hearts so that the holy spirit comes and he opens the bible to us and We now, because he has changed our nature, no longer are we the old nature in Adam. We have a new nature in Christ. And now we echo and respond to the will of God, to the law of God. And God wants to save us and heal us. Now, physical healing is included. And science is making great advancements. There's a cure for my disease. There's also a, a, a astounding technology that I'm so grateful for. That, that it makes me much healthier than I was. But I've already had effects from having it so long. But I know one day I'm going to be restored. Now, it, it won't be here. If I die before Jesus comes back, I'm, something's going to happen to my remains. I'm going to get buried or scattered to the wind or something. I don't know. Um, but there's coming a day when Jesus comes back finally that, that our bodies will be resurrected, made like his body. It's going to be an immortal body. It's going to be a body that will not be touched by COVID or anything else. It won't be touched by disease. It won't die. It, it is not susceptible to even to death. But here's a problem man has. Man tries to earn his own salvation. Man tries to earn his own way. And, and listen, you may disagree with me, but I can prove it in a very simple way. Have you ever seen a child? Have you ever seen especially a toddler? Somewhere between three and five. A, a young preschooler, I guess, is what you call that age group, right? Have you, have you ever seen one of them? He, they're around. I hope you've seen them. Y'all just looking at me like, what's he talking about? Here's, here is a direct quote. I can do it myself. You hear that? (laughs) Everybody's experienced that. They're trying to tie their shoes. And you're sitting there going, let me, uh, I can do it myself. You know, when parents are going, thank God for Velcro, right? It's a lot easier now. But, but they, they want to do it themselves, and they're doing a bad job. Now, there's different parenting styles. I'm more like, fine, you know, go ahead, I don't care. You'll figure out that you need my help later, and they do usually. Uh, you know, and, but some would rather, like, get in there and fix it for them before, while they still are fighting you. Well, that's, that's what we are. We don't outgrow that. I mean, we get older and bigger, but we never grow up. And God comes to save us, and we say, I want to do it myself. People want to work for it. We want to be, we want to be righteous enough for it. We want, to, we want to be perfect. We want to uh, pray enough or give enough or read enough or do something enough, serve enough, minister enough. And to, so that God will say, good job, good job. Well, he says good job, but that's because anything good we do, it's him doing it in us. I already quoted Galatians 2.20, The life I now live in this flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's him working in us. And then there's a group of people that want to keep the law for it. Matt, if I can just, if I can keep the law. Well, the Bible says that if you break one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking all of it. And I don't know about you, but I've broken all ten commandments. And so have you. I get tickled at Christians who think we got to keep the law. I mean, I was almost caught up in a group like that once when I was a teenager, a very young man, and man, they just had all kind of rules and regulations. Back then, this was back in the '70s. I'm old, okay, and this is back in the '70s, and it struck me yesterday. Somebody born in the year 2000 is 20 years old. I mean, y'all remember? How many y'all remember tw- the year 2000? I booked a flight on New Year's Day Eve, 1999. It was me and one other guy on the plane. Everybody else was terrified. I'm like, dude, I got the whole plane in my seat. I mean, me and him, man, we just stretched out. Like, this is cool. Yeah, it was awesome. And everybody's just so scared and everybody's worried about it. Well, anyway, the, you know, that group would have all these rules and they, they didn't like, want you to have long hair if you're a guy. Well, the Bible says, you know. And so one day it hit me. What you're telling me is my barber down there, likes to tell dirty jokes that cuts my hair, has grace in his scissors. And, I'm, man, I'm just, I'm just not right with God. But, boy, if he cuts my hair, now I'm right with God. That's crazy. That don't even make common sense. They'd fuss at women, how they dress, you know. I just look at those dudes and go, have you given up bacon yet? Because that's in there. <laughs> Shrimp. I mean, I'm from Charleston. Shrimp and crabs. You gave all that up? I didn't think so, but that's in there with all the stuff you're throwing at me. You see, we don't have to keep the law. The law was kept for us in Christ. He fulfilled all the law. And so now his law is on our heart because God is more concerned with justice and more concerned with us doing and living right like Christ did than keeping little details of the law. He did those things to, number one, to keep the people healthy because all the things he told us not to eat was a scavenger. And back then you couldn't put hogs in a special place and feed them special food and breed them a special way so that it wasn't as bad for you. They ate a bunch of dead stuff and you're prone, you know, let me just tell you a secret about eating crabs if you don't know this. If it dies before you cook it, throw it away. Because as soon as it dies, man, stuff starts growing in that sucker because he's only eaten dead things his whole life. He's got all kinds of germs in him. you got to cook him alive. Now some of y'all go, ah, the poor crab. I'm like, thank you, crab. Yes, you're good, man. Thanks for doing Appreciate that. But we want to keep the law. Well, if I just keep the law, you can't. No man ever has except Jesus. And because he kept the law, he was qualified to die in our place on the cross. And there on the cross, it wasn't his physical suffering as much as he who knew no sin became sin. And God the Father had to turn his back because God is too holy than to look at sin. And Jesus had cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he died for us. That's the heart of the cross. He's not a baby just stuck in a feeding trough. He is a man who lived out his life and died for us on a cross. Our failure in life, our sin in life, can be summed up in unbelief. We don't believe God is enough. We don't believe God can handle our problem. That's why Eve ate the apple. She thought God was holding back. That God, what he, he had told him wasn't enough. You can eat all of this, just that one tree. You don't eat off that one tree. But boy, that's the one tree she wanted to eat from. Because what God had provided wasn't enough. What he held back is what she wanted. And so we don't believe God is enough. We doubt that he loves us and wants to give us his best. The Bible says that everything God gives us, he is good and only gives good gifts to his children. You're saying, you're telling me my economic collapse is good? Yep. Are you telling me this tragedy I went through in my life is good? Yep. I don't know why. I don't know how. But I know God gave you a good gift for a reason. And everything God gives me is good. When you get that perspective. I mean, Paul had a thorn in his flesh. He asked God three times to take it away. Obviously, it was bothering him. Bothering him enough to pray about. I mean, there's some things sometimes you don't ever think to pray about. You're like, well, I won't bother God with that. Well, you can if you want to. But but this thing bothered Paul enough that he prayed about it. And God said, nope, nope, my grace is sufficient for you. I will give you what you need to endure it because it's making in you, it's building character in you, it's helping you. And so God, we we doubt that he loves us. God, why would you give me this? Don't you love me? Exactly, that's why I gave it to you. Because I love you. We don't trust his word. We don't trust that what he said is true. We don't trust his ability. We don't think God can handle it. Some people take over God's business because they don't think God's doing a good job. God, obviously you can't handle this, so let me do it. God's got it, man. You don't have to you don't have to do that. My my dad was overly helpful. You know, you know how sometimes you try and do something and somebody reaches in and says, Here, let me do it, and they pull it out your hand. My dad was like that. And of course I couldn't smack my dad, but I don't want to smack anybody else that ever does that for sure, you know? So it's like, I got it, man. Leave me alone because I can do it myself, right? And we don't, we we we're snatching things out of God's hand. You know what worry is? That's doing God's business with your strength. And we we, we want we, we don't trust his ability to handle our lies. We don't trust his motivation. We don't think he loves us enough to give us what's good for us. So we doubt what we have as being what we need from God. But God in Christ died for all of that, he died for our unbelief. And the Bible says that when we submit ourselves to God, even when we forsake him, he will not forsake himself for he cannot deny himself. He won't forsake us. He came to live with us. He came to go home with you after he rescued you. You see, God has exalted the name of Jesus. He's exalted Christ. He's not stuck in that manger and John 1.1, 1, 1, the name is God. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That baby in the manger, you sang it in a carol today. The Word of God made flesh. God's Word made flesh. Jesus is the final Word. He's the God spoke many times in the Bible to the prophets in the Old Testament. And He told them a lot of things. But the Bible says, but in these days He spoke through the Word. He is the final word. And Jesus came as the word so that we would know the will of God. And then that name paid the price. Here's what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why would God come as a baby? If you and I wanted to, to send a deliverer, I don't care if it's DC or Marvel, you're going to send a superhero. You're going to send somebody with extraordinary power that he's going to exercise and, and just come flying in and save the day. God sent a helpless baby. In fact, God didn't just send a helpless baby. God became a helpless baby. Why? Well, I'm not scared of a baby. I don't know about you. I was kind of scared of my first baby when mom, Janice's mom went home. Because what do we do now? I mean, I, you know, it's terrifying, right? But, but I'm not scared of baby's going to hurt me do anything to me. And so we, we've been afraid of God. God became a baby so we could understand But he became a man so we could never look at him and say, you don't understand. Hebrews says, we don't have a high priest that can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. But one who was in all points tempted like we are, but without sin. He didn't sin, but man, he was hungry. He was tired. He was thirsty. He was dusty. He was exhausted. He was probably frustrated. He experienced everything we experience. And the Bible says he humbled himself and he put on the likeness of men. And being found there, he became obedient to death. The Bible lets us know that Jesus went to the cross not motivated so much by his love for man but by his love for God. It says in Hebrews 12 that, that for the joy set before him he endured the cross despising the shame. Earlier in Hebrews it said, To do thy will, O Lord, I have come. Jesus came to do the will of God and it was his love for God that sent him to the cross for us. But he loved us in doing that and he he gave us eternal life in himself. He humbled himself and was obedient to death, even death on a cross. But because he did that, this is what that same passage goes on to say in verses 9 through 11 Philippians 2. That name has been exalted. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord or God to the glory of God the Father. Now, all my life I've read that and we still read it. and We say, yeah, I can't wait until the day Jesus is revealed and everybody's going to bow. I believe that's powerful now. I believe in the name of Jesus, the demons have to bow. I believe they have to sit down and be quiet. When you, when you speak in the authority of Jesus Christ, Jesus has been exalted to a place above all powers, above all principalities. A very small picture of that years ago, different president. And, and uh, that president had, uh, he became friends with Michael W. Smith, a Christian artist, a musical artist. And so he had him come to the White House and bring some of his closest friends and do a little, sort of like a private concert. There weren't many people in the room, a small room. I saw it on some uh, alternate TV channel. And so there's all these Christian artists singing all these songs. And then, I'll just never forget, the president wasn't 20 feet from Michael W. Smith. who sat down at the piano and started playing. And he started singing these words, Above all powers, above all kings, above all, it's Jesus, right? I can't quote the whole song, but the cool thing was the president was worshiping with that. He got it. I, I, I've never known a world leader, never been a world leader, obviously. But I got a feeling, and this is maybe a wrong assumption, that every once in a while they look in the mirror and go, uh-huh, that's right, I'm the man. Especially those who don't know the Lord. No, you're not the man. Jesus is the man. Jesus is the one. He, he didn't stay a baby. He, he's a, he is the man. He grew up. He lived that life, and he lived it perfectly. He died on the cross in our place and he won for his salvation And the Bible says a result of that God has exalted him above all so that in his name everything everything within any authority has to bow and recognize that he is Lord and God and that's something you and I have to do to know him as our Savior you see Jesus is more Jesus is more than enough we always say oh Jesus is enough no he's more than enough we don't think it that way because the Bible says Second Corinthians chapter one that as many as may be the promises of God in Him they are yes, it is in the cross and the resurrection of Christ that everything that God promised belongs to us. And apart from Christ, this doesn't apply. We live in a time there are some politicians in our country that thinks our Constitution belongs to people that live outside or not citizens of our country. They want to apply our laws to other people, and that doesn't work that way. You're not American. You don't have constitutional protection and guarantees. Well, guess what? You can't claim to be a child of God if you're not a child of God. God don't play that. You're either his child or you're not. And if you're not, none of these promises belong to you. And if you are his child, all these promises belong to you. That's a cool place to be. Jesus is more than enough. He has provided everything we need by his death and resurrection. So don't leave Jesus stuck in the feeding trough because he's not still there. He grew up, he lived out that perfect life. You see, he came to live that life, he came to win over sin, he came to die in our place, to rise from the dead, and to rule. Once the disciples asked him, When's the kingdom of God coming? He said, It's already here, it's in you. When Christ comes to live in your life, when the Holy Spirit takes up residency in your life, you're a part of the kingdom of God. The king has not been revealed to those outside the kingdom yet. They don't understand. They think Jesus is, Buddha's as good as Jesus. They think Muhammad's as good as Jesus. Actually, the people that believe all that stuff believe that their, their particular deity is better than Jesus. But none are. We know that according to Scripture that none are. Jesus is the king but we think there are these other deities that are important there aren't any others he is the king he's the only one and one day he's going to be revealed as that king and I can't wait to that day I, I, I hope I've already gone to heaven when that day comes not because I don't want to be here it's cool if I'm here because I'll still get where I need to be but I think I need a little practice riding a horse I mean, I've ridden a horse, you know, those little trail horses. They only speed up when they know they're close to eating again, you know. And at the end, you're like, oh, 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 you're hold on. But I've never, like, ridden a horse. Like, man, like, you know, cutting out a, chasing a, a rampant cow or just galloping along. I've never done that. My kids have, but I have But the Bible says when that last day comes, here comes Jesus riding a white horse in the army of heaven with him. There are at least horses in heaven. I can't wait to come over there with him. And come down back to this earth and the king will set up his kingdom on this planet. He's not just a baby in a manger. He's exalted God. And he's exalted above every name and above every power and above every principality that exists. So if you believe in Jesus, man, what do you have to fear? Nothing. Nothing. Because nobody's going to get out of this alive, right? You're going to die, but you can't die because he's given you eternal life. The, the body will wear out. You'll leave it and go to heaven, and I, I don't know how it works there. Some speculate maybe we got like a temporary body there, or we may just be spirits that can manifest in a body. I don't know. But friend, i got nothing to fear because the worst thing you can do to me is kill me, and when you do, you've done the best thing for me you ever did. So I don't have to fear COVID. I don't have to fear anything. Because I follow the King who has my life in his hands. And I hope you will too. You see, you can't just take the puppy home and it stay a puppy. I wouldn't want it to because you can't teach a puppy much. But you can't just have Jesus in a manger. I mean, I love Christmas. This is a miracle. This is a miracle on so many levels. I wish I could even understand it all, much less I'd love to explain it all, but you'll never exhaust the miracle of God putting on flesh and coming and living with us. But don't get stuck there. He lived that life. He died for you on a cross. And when you accept him, now you've got a responsibility to live as a disciple of his, of following him, doing what he commands. So I I would ask you, Think back to the day where you accepted the promise of God, that when you accepted that, that, that Jesus would provide for you salvation, if you just bowed before him, said, you are Lord, you're king, take over my life, whatever you want, that's what I'll do. A lot of people think that you come, pray a prayer, okay, now you you just got a ticket, and now you just do what you want, and then when you die, you present that ticket at the office and say, I got, it. I got my salvation right here. No, when you become a believer you become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ you follow his will you follow his example and you do what he did do you remember that day when you began to believe the promise of God that God if you would give him your life that he would give you eternal life and so I would encourage you to live God's plan for your life he's got a plan for each one of us and the joy of your life is to figure out what that is so at the end of your life you can say I fought a good fight I ran a good race I've kept the faith. That's what Paul was able to say. So live out God's plan for your life. And don't get stuck in the feeding trough. Look to the cross. Look to the cross. Because he was born to die for us. He was born to live out a perfect life in a sinful world. So that he could become the right substitute for man. If Jesus had died as God, it wouldn't have counted for us. He had to die as a man. God had to put on flesh... To fulfill God's own requirement for sin, which was death. And he could only do that as a man. And he did that as a man. So that you and I could have life. So this Christmas, I pray that you will worship Jesus Christ in all of his fullness. We can enjoy the manger. We can enjoy all of that. But don't forget the reason he came. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you for your grace, your mercy. We thank you for... What you did for us. And Lord I pray. That in Jesus name. Anybody who happens to hear these words. God that you would. Bring to them conviction in their own heart. I I can't do that. And that's your job. And you do it well. So Lord we just trust you to do that. That those who don't know you. Will understand that they need to bow before you. And confess you as Lord. And become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord we pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would move in their hearts and lives and they would cry out to you and that they would let other believers know that they've done that so they can begin to grow and to become more and more like Christ in a good discipling church. And Lord, we pray for ourselves. We pray, Lord, that this Christmas we would count the cost of being a follower of Jesus Christ. We won't treat you like a cute little puppy, but realize that you came to to live that life and that with following you comes great responsibility and so lord may we have that responsibility may we may we decide yes lord i will do what you call me to do no matter the cost because lord you counted the cost and then you paid it for us so may we count the cost and pay it in gratitude to you Lord, we love you, we thank you, we can't wait to be able to lay treasures at your feet that you actually won in us, that nothing we could have done but you did it through us and we get the opportunity to hand it back to you and say thank you for what you did in our lives. God, give us your grace this Christmas in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Merry Christmas.